All right, everybody, go ahead and find your seat. There's no countdown today, so I just call it when I felt like it was good. Well, good morning. Hope you're doing good. Uh, by way of introduction, my name's Stephen. I have the privilege of serving as a pastor and one of the elders here at the branch. So if you're new here, uh, on behalf of our staff and church membership, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Some of you may be here today because someone's being baptized. And so a special welcome to you as we celebrate uh, new life in Jesus and um, in the folks who are being baptized. So I'll talk more about that at the end. I do want to say a couple of things as uh, we get started this morning. One, uh, thank you for the notes last week. I was able to uh, spend time this week just reading through them, and they really do mean a lot. And so um, for those of you who wrote notes, thank you. For those of you who didn't, you missed the one opportunity to say thank you to your pastor. <laughs> um, so anyways, it does, it, it, you know, it's... Um, we don't do it, obviously, for that, but it does, you know, some of the things that you guys would say, just it, it does mean a lot that you see uh, God's calling on, on what we're doing and the commitment that we have to the scriptures and to teach them for what's here. And so, um, anyways, thank you again for that. Uh, the second thing is I got to go to my first Chili Chowdown last week, so I made it, finally, five years later, we made it to our first one. It was awesome. Uh, we're going to do it again later uh, tonight, and so um, I'm just kidding. But uh, where's Lana? Okay, so uh, Landa Ray, if you haven't met her, she's the one who's raising her hand like this. Um, <clears throat> she challenged me to an obstacle course race uh, on the Sunday where I confessed a real competitive drive. And so uh, almost a competitive drive that leads to sin. And so um, I, of course, took every opportunity to crush her and, uh, and did. But um, she doesn't know this because I haven't talked to her yet. While I won the race, I lost the war. I was sore for four days after the obstacle course race on the little inflatable. And so there's the, the joys of getting older. I did then subsequently get crushed by a 10-year-old. So um, he was way more nimble than me, and he fit through the hole better than I did. And um, so congrats to you, Brayden. It's the only time I'll ever let you win. Okay. All right. So listen, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. So we're just chugging along in uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and um, we're in chapter 5, verse 1 today, and, and we'll go down through verse 21, as Jared read earlier. If you don't have a Bible, there's a one, on the end, one on the end of your row. Just feel free to grab it. It's on page 919 this morning. And as I was getting ready, uh, preparing throughout the week and over the course of the last couple of weeks for this, um, this is a very dear passage to me. This is the very first sermon I ever preached, like almost 20 years ago, was Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. And so I went back and I looked at my notes, which were written, handwritten in a moleskin journal, because that's how cool pastors used to do things back then. And now we just use iPads. Um, but in my terrible handwriting, I was just, you know, just being reminded of God's grace in my own life. You know, thankfully, he's, he's grown me since then. Um, hopefully, I'm a better preacher, better pastor than I was. Um, but I say that to tell you this. There was a guy in my life, I was in college, just coming towards the back end of college, and, and he saw stuff in me that I didn't see in myself, right? I hope we all have somebody in our life that's like that. And he kept pushing me uh, to lead well within the little youth group that I was help, helping serve and volunteer with. And eventually he's like, hey, I'm not going to be here. I want you to teach. You can pick whatever you want and go for it. I don't know why I picked Ephesians 
five to talk to high schoolers about uh, some of the things that are in this text. I did skip over a few things that were, made me feel very uncomfortable as a 20-year-old. Um, but, you know, there was so much richness in this text that it felt like this is where we needed to go. And I feel like even now, 20 years later, this is where we need to go. We need to hear the exhortations of Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. And so over the course of this sermon series, we've, we've said it now a few times, but these first three, the first half of this book is all about our theology, what's been stated true of us, who we are because of who Jesus is. And this back half, starting in chapter 4 and now certainly into chapter 5, is now because that's true, because we are made alive in Christ Jesus, how then should we live? And so this text in particular is really all about this, how we walk as Christ followers. And so I want to I read this text uh, in its entirety again, and then like we do each week, we'll go back uh, with a comb and, and go through it verse by verse. So this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says... Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's go before the Lord in prayer now. Father, we are thankful for the richness of this text, for how specific it is that you care about how we live that even the way that we live our lives is a testimony, is a witness to your goodness and grace to us. And so now I pray, Father, as, as we navigate through uh, a really weighty text, that you would help us uh, to see clearly the sin in our lives and to turn to Christ in the richness of his grace and mercy. So we love you. We thank you for this room to gather here and to worship and to sing songs and melodies and spiritual songs. God, I pray that you would 
just imprint them on our hearts today. So we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the overall message of Ephesians chapter 5 is to walk like Jesus walked. You know, we'll say a lot of times, uh, Lord, teach me to see the way that you see. Teach me to hear what you hear. We don't often pray, teach me to walk as you walk, because it's, that's challenging, that's convicting, that's going to make us do things differently than the way that we've always done them. And the world today tells us that the more good you do will outweigh the bad, and then therefore God will love you, right? I mean, that's, it's karma. If I do more good things than bad things, then surely I'll get into heaven, because God wouldn't let a, a good person go to hell. Have you heard that argument? Well, the reality, and we've already seen this in Ephesians, is that all of us are wicked by nature. All of us are sinners by nature. And the only way for God to extend his salvation to us is through the Holy Spirit taking us from being dead to being made alive, right? This is what we've been doing over the first three chapters of Ephesians. But we have this, uh, Christian Smith kind of gave this term or these terms, this title of, of what I think is really the working theology of the American church, certainly of church in the South, which is this idea of moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now, I don't have time to go. It's a great book. You should read it. I don't have time to exegete it today, okay? But the whole idea is that God exists to make us happy. That's it. And if we're happy, then we'll do good things. And if we do good things, then God will love us. And it's this revolving door of heresy, okay? And so what we have to understand is as Christians, we are to live as a counterculture to the world around us. Now, that's not to say like culture in it of itself is not evil, okay? Culture is nominal. It doesn't matter. It is just, it is an outworking of the hearts, the broken, wicked, dark hearts of its people, okay? So, so culture, we can say culture is bad, culture is evil. No, it is not. Sin is bad, darkness is bad, and it is evil, Okay, and those things are now informing culture. So as Christians, we are called to be a counterculture. This passage, I think, goes right at the heart of specific sin. All of us in the room, none of us are free from what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5. That's the, that was the thing that was uncomfortable as a 20-year-old when you're telling 16-year-olds, you wicked little thing, right? Because I didn't want to do that. I was scared, right? I was just trying to nail 12 minutes. Some of you are like, man, you used to preach in 12 minutes? yes. I was running off stage as fast as I could. And then we have weeks like last week where you preach 40 minutes and there's kids in the room. I apologize, parents. That was on me, okay? Anyways, but we have this idea that the, this passage, Ephesians 5, is going right at the core of sin, which is idolatry. All of these things are wrapped up in idolatry, whether it's sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness or wicked speech. All of those things are saying at the heart of what they are is idolatry, is putting something in the place that only God has the, the right to dwell in, okay? And so as we, that's, that's the equalizer, okay? So all of us in the room are idolaters, all of us. No one is free from it. So it doesn't matter what your specific sin is, at the end of the day, you are a sinner, and so what we have to do is we have to stop qualifying sin or renaming sin or we rebrand it like, oh, this sin is okay now because it looks like this. And we put, you know, a different type of wrapping paper on it, and yet it is still sin. And God hates sin. John Calvin, we've quoted this a million times, and we'll quote it a million more, but he's, he's kind of known for saying, our hearts are idol-making factories. We are really, really good at it. 
Like I can, without even trying, make my job as your pastor an idol. I can. I can take the notes that you wrote me and be like, oh, yeah, man, I feel good. I'm doing good. People think I'm great. And all of a sudden, my calling has become an idol. Continue to pray for me. Or we can take our Bibles. Be careful here. We can make our Bibles an idol. We can sit and we can study and we can dissect and we can rip the pages apart. We can highlight and underline and circle and do all of the things and never actually know who God is. So what we have to do is we have to lean in and press in for a movement of the Spirit of God to open our eyes, to wake us up. And this is what Paul is writing about in Ephesians chapter 5. Kids, your first point today is that as followers of Jesus, we are called to three things. To walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. Walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. And we're going to follow that trajectory this morning as we take this apart. So we'll do the first two verses, and then we'll do 13 through 14, and then 15 through 21. And that's how we'll wrap up this morning. But I want, you to, I want to be very clear. Like this, this passage is heavy. We've read it now twice already this morning. It's weighty. If you read it in family groups, like it's a heavy family group. Right? And I think a lot of times we'll read passages like this and then we'll start thinking about other people. Like, oh, yeah, I know so-and-so is this thing. Or you nudge your husband or wife and be like, hey, you better listen to this. Right? And I think what I want to challenge us this morning, even husbands and wives now are just laughing at each other because we know it's real. We do that. Okay? But we have to take the plank out of our own eye before we ever look at the speck of others. That is what Jesus says. And so what I want us to do is I want us to hold the mirror of the gospel up this morning and look deeply at who we are and the things that we care about, the things that we worship this morning. So verses 1 through 2, we read these last week because it's the perfect way to close this idea of new life. We're putting on the new clothes of Christ's likeness, this new robe of righteousness. the, The old self is dead and now we're walking in newness of life. But it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then what does it say? It says to walk in love as what? As Christ loved us. So Christ is the initiator. He's the instigator of love. We do not know love apart from Christ's love to us. Okay? So you can't, if if you're not a Christian, okay? And maybe some of you in the room are this way. You can't truly know love. Now, you can have affections for You can have, you can really like someone. You can say that you love them and you can do all the things that look like love, but they are not true love until it reflects the love that Christ has first given us. Then I love this as it continues. He says, he gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We just spent a year and a half studying Exodus. We learned all about the fragrant offerings. What, what, what were they? Do you remember? It was, they, these were offerings of prayer as the, as the fragrance, as the smoke would rise up in the tabernacle. It was there to say, hey, there's no inch of this space that God's not going to hear the prayers of his people, right? And so our love for one another is that fragrant offering. There's, listen, there is no room where love enters that love is not known, okay? It's like if we turned off all the lights in the room and it was pitch black and we lit a little light, everybody in the room is going to see the light. Darkness doesn't work like that, okay? We have darkness. It's in my hand. I can see it. You can't. But as soon as I let it go, it dissipates into the light. 
That's how powerful light is. And that's what Paul is getting at through all of these exhortations about righteous living. Okay? So listen, if you're new to the branch and you don't know who we are as a church, or you don't know me as a pastor, like, this isn't legalism. Okay? Legalism being like, hey, if you do these things, if you abstain from sexual immorality, if you don't participate in locker room talk, then you can be saved. It's because we've been saved now that we walk in righteousness, that we walk in love, we walk in light, and we walk in wisdom. I think one of the things as I was uh, studying this text that really kind of uh, was imprinted on just as, as we've been communicating who we are as a church and even like the Operation Christmas Child stuff is this is a, this is a missionary note, okay? You want people in the world to know that you're a follower of Jesus? Do these things, okay? So what is a missionary? A missionary is someone who goes to the ends of the earth bringing the gospel of Jesus for the sole purpose of people coming to new life. If I go to the ends of the earth and I'm cheating on my spouse or I'm constantly angry or I'm always drunk or I'm always the, you put, pick the thing that's in this list that Paul's giving out today. Those people will be like, I don't care who your God is. I don't want any part of that. That's real. And so as we grow in Christ's likeness, we are to put these things in place. So let's look then at these other verses, okay? Before we do that, I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 13 through 19 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient, what's the word? It should be on the screen. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, he's quoting Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. So what does it mean to be an imitator of God? It means to be holy. It means to be holy because he is holy. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Our job as Christians is to be holy. We pursue Christian living. We, we give the theological word sanctification, we grow in Christ's likeness because Christ is holy. And so as we pursue holiness, we are pursuing Christ's likeness and we bring glory to the Father who is the giver of good gifts. Kids, your second point today is that as image bearers of God, we are to imitate God and not the idols of the world. One of the greatest temptations that we see in the church is for the church to love the things of the world. And we do this as an institution in the church, and we do this as the body of the church. Here's what I mean. We like to say, okay, hey, we need to have all the fanciest technology in church to be able to worship well. So we're letting the things of the world slip into the body of Christ. Or we say, hey, listen, we have to do all of these lists of things in order for us to be the church. No, the Bible is very clear. What we are to do is to gather together, and wherever more, two or more have gathered, what, what happens? There the Spirit of the God will be. And so what is our purpose? 
When we gather together, it's to be encouraged, it's to listen to these exhortations and to wrestle with what God is doing in our lives and then to push, to march on in Christ-likeness. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a long race. So as we look at these verses, verses 3 through 14, this is the idea of walking in light. Now before we go back through, I want to look specifically at verse 14. Okay? Verse 14 says, Awake, O sleeper. Now this letter wasn't written to people outside of the church. This, was, this letter was written to the church. I would imagine if Paul was to write us a letter today, he would start with that line. Wake up. Wake up. If we hear one call this morning, I pray that it would be that. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Do you see the beauty of that? Let's don't slumber through. We just had to fall back. Anybody thankful for falling back on the the clock? I was. My team played too late last night. I was very tired, but I got that extra hour. Unless you have a three-year-old in your house. Stinker. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We need to wake up. What I love, what Paul says here, is he doesn't say you were once darkness, or he says you were once darkness. He doesn't say you were once like darkness. He puts darkness right at the very core of our identity. He says, you were once darkness, but now you are light doesn't say that you're walking in darkness or, hey, it was just a phase, right, college students? It's just a phase, my college phase, like it's okay. No, you were, you were darkness. It is who you were. But God, who is rich in mercy now, says, you know what, where there is darkness, I'm going to put light. And now we walk in light. The beauty of the gospel is that light drives out darkness 100% of the time. So listen, Christians in the room, how you live in the world matters. Not cheating on your exam matters. How you parent your children matters. How you love your neighbor matters. Talking to myself here. How you drive your car matters. How you do everything in the world matters. My dad and I were doing, we had a project um, down in Atlanta this week, and I made a huge mistake. Huge. Could have been devastating. I was telling Joel this morning. Like a silly little error. Like, hey, did you do this? Yeah, we did that. Because we always do that. We didn't do it. And now we have to say, oh, hold on, hold on. Listen, I'm, we made this mistake. Like, I could have hit it. I could have taken the thing and been like, oh, we didn't do it. We did it, you know. But no, because we walk in light, you say, hey, listen, now this was my mistake. And my mistake could cost us dearly. But I need you to know that we made the mistake. And I'm sorry. Thankfully, it doesn't happen often, that particular mistake, because it still is kind of, do you have ever had that thing in your life where it's like, man, that's, that's going to keep me up tonight? I knew it, and it sure did. Friday night was a long night. Awake, O sleeper. Okay, but we all have that thing. We all have that one tendency of like, hey, if I just, nobody really is going to know. That's not what Jesus would have done. That's not how Christ lives in the world. 
What I love about Matthew chapter 5, this is the whole, uh, you are the light of the world passage. Do you know? Do you know it? Are you familiar? Matthew 5, 15. Is he says, you don't take a light and put it under a basket. If you were to do that, you're a fool. They didn't have electricity, if you can imagine. So they would light a candle and they'd put it where? Right in the middle of the room. So everyone in the room could have an equal amount of light. And what Jesus is saying, listen, if you're walking with me, don't hide it. Don't, don't be like, hey, I'm going to go uh, shine my light on Sunday because I'm going to hang out with my branch family. And I need them to know that I'm walking with Jesus. And then you go into your whatever, and you're like, nope, I'm going to just cover that thing up for a minute, and I'm going to just live the way that the world tells me I should live. Right? That's our natural tendency as humans, as broken, sinful, wicked humans. We like to do that. We will take this little light of mine. Anybody want to sing it with me? I promise to not do that. And we, we, we're going to cover it up. I mean, I remember uh, when our kids would come home from school having just learned that song, like, you know, throw away the baskets. Let your light shine before men so they might see Jesus, not you. And so Paul's listing all of these things, and we're going to go through them, okay? The first one he lists is what? Sexual immorality. The Greek word Paul uses here is pornea. Hello. Hello. It's where we get the word pornography. So even back then, now this, that word is bigger than just pornography. It means any type of sexual sin. Paul is addressing. Flee from it. Run from it. Okay? The Bible condemns certain types of sexual sin, like homosexuality, fornication, adultery. Jesus goes so far to say, is if you even look at another man or a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Okay? So before you're like, oh, I'm not, I don't struggle with that kind of thing, that one is all-encompassing. Everyone, at some point, has looked at someone else with lust in their heart, and therefore they have sinned. Now, here's the danger that our culture has said is, it's okay. It's your body. You do, you, it's your body. You do it. You do whatever makes you feel good. It's not your body. It is a temple of God. And here's, here, I'm going to speak specifically to the men in the room. I know that uh, a lot of this is not just uh, for men, but I'm going to speak to the men in the room, if that's okay, for just a second. Men, you're called to lead. And if you're falling into the same patterns of sexual sin and you're bringing someone else into you or in with you, you need to stop. Because here's the reality. You're robbing her and you're robbing her future husband of something she can never get back. Now, here's the, the flip side of that. Men, again, you're also robbing your future wife of something that you will never get to share with her. And so we should fight for and strive for purity. Now, here's what we like to do, okay? Is we like to take the line, the, uh, the, the line, the boundary, right? And we like to see how far we can push it, right? We, well, we didn't do that, so it must be okay. And so we just, we pick up the line of sexual immorality and we just slide it a little bit further over. We're just a little bit further over. And the next thing you know, we don't look anything different from the world around us. The Bible, though, gives a very proper view and a very healthy view of sex. It does. This is what I had a hard time talking to the high schoolers about when I was 20, okay? But it does. The Bible gives very clear direction and parameters, 
It's within the covenant of a marriage between a man and a woman. And it's beautiful and to be celebrated and enjoyed. But anytime you slip outside of that covenant marriage, you are now an idolater. Ultimately, sexual sin, as with all of these other things, is, it's a problem of worship. You're either worshiping someone else, or you're worshiping your own feelings more than you're worshiping God. And what we have to do is we have to slay that idol. Okay? Now, girls, I don't want to, like, you're not off the hook. Okay? That's the only disclaimer I've got. Never been a girl. Okay? All right. Impurity is the second one. Impurity refers to any type of filth. Any type of filth. Okay? Anything that, like, here's the thing. It's like there's purity and there's impurity. Which one do you think we should be choosing? It's like, you don't have to be taught this. Like, I remember very early on, like, knowing, oh, I know that this is wrong. I know that this isn't right. And then you either do it anyways, and you hope that it's going to be okay, or you run from it, and you choose purity. But here's the reality. If you want to be a witness to the ways of Jesus, we have to choose purity in everything that we do. Not just in our physical bodies, but in everything that we do. The music we listen to, the way that we speak, the people we hang out with, we have to choose purity. The next is covetousness. Sometimes this can get wrapped up into the, the kind of the pastry of greed, and I think it includes greed. It's not exclusive to greed, but this is the relentless desire for more, right? More money, more fame, more followers, more what you fill in the blank, whatever it is, or craving something that someone else has, okay? You look at your neighbor and you're like, ooh, that new car, I like it, I want it, I need it. That's covetousness. When we covet, we're saying that God's not enough. Something else has got a hold of my heart. Something else has my affections more than my affections for Jesus. It's worshiping something other than God. There's a prayer in Proverbs. It's just The prayer is, give me just enough. Give me just enough. When's the last time you prayed that? That's a hard prayer to pray because we want more. We want more. Because what happens when we have more? We either feel more confident, or we feel more comfortable, or we feel more powerful. All these things are antithetical to the gospel of Jesus, where the first now are last, the least are the greatest, right? It's an upside-down kingdom. The next is corrupt speech. And I want to just I don't think anything of all this list, nothing will corrupt your witness of Jesus Christ more than a foul tongue. Nothing. Because it impacts everyone around you. Right? You, you drop some, some bad language into a group of people and all of a sudden you'll be like, whoa. Now here's what's fun about being a pastor. Okay? Is we, we were at an event a couple weeks ago. Some of our friends were doing a, a big charity ball and we're, we're riding down together with a group of friends and, and they're using foul language. And then they'll look over at me and be like, oh, gosh, sorry. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time someone apologized to me for saying a bad word, I wouldn't be here. But that's the reality. Is you, is you look at someone, a spiritual authority, if you will, and then, and then all of a sudden you feel, you feel bad. Like, oh, man, sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to say that in front of you. Like, well, I, you shouldn't say it anyways. Now, listen, I... I do this too, okay? Like, I'm not free from foul talk, all right? 
I hate it. But it just is a reality. We have to tame our tongues. But it's not just curse words that God has in mind or Paul has in mind as he's writing this. It's any sort of foul talk. Whatever comes out of our mouth is, is what? It's an overflowing of our heart. And that's what I want to say to my friends who probably aren't walking with Jesus. Is like, hey, listen, you're apologizing to me, but you have a bigger problem. Like there's, it, what's coming out of your mouth is foul, which tells me that your heart is corrupt and you need newness of life. Right? I mean, all of us have people in our lives who are like that. It's like, I want to go, I want to go. So my, my other job is I'm around a lot of like uh, military people. Military people by nature use a lot of foul language. I don't know why, just as part of the thing. I don't know if it's like they, to sign up, you have to have the, your list of four-letter words that you prefer. I think we all have one of those. But, but it's funny because you, you, you spend time with these folks and all of a sudden they'll start being like, well, you don't talk like that. Try not to. But it looks different. It's a counterculture. And so if you want people in your life, if you, want, like if you have somebody, and some of these friends who are riding with us, they are, they are on our constant prayer list. Like I pray every day that the Spirit would wake them up. And so if I just go on participating in the crude jokes or in the foul language or getting hammered, I'm no different than they are. My, my testimony, my witness, go back to the beginning of how we started Ephesians. We were looking at Acts. You will be my witnesses. Well, how am I your witness? I'm not just going to talk to people about, but I'm going to say because of what Jesus has done, now I'm going to live my life in a way that's different. Okay? So Christians, we are called to live differently. Be on guard. All of us should be from locker room talk or water cooler gossip or quick-tempered comments. Anybody like sarcasm? Your boy loves it. In the moment. I hate it at the end of the day. Okay? I'm quick. Like, I'll, I'll catch you off guard. And you'll be like, oh, I think he was making fun of me. I was. And I'm sorry. But you're an idiot. <laughs> Words matter. This is what I was trying to get to last week, telling you the story of my coach. Words matter, and they carry weight. You could cripple somebody with your words. That whole sticks and stones can break my bones with words, that's baloney. Words carry more weight. I'd rather get hit by a stone. I would. But here's the beauty of the gospel, is that grace covers all of these sins for those who trust the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you're one of those in the room today, you will walk in light because of it. We need to wake up as Christ shines upon us and walk in light. The last one, and we're going to wrap up, is to walk in wisdom. Okay, to walk in wisdom. If we pay attention to how we're walking, we'll not walk in foolish ways. You have to be intentional. Okay? We talk about this not being a sprint. I, was, I went running yesterday, and uh, I had a bunch of weird encounters. Okay? And one of them was at the end, I was really tired, starting to cramp up, struggling, and I tripped. Right? And in that moment, I'm listening to Ephesians being read over and over again, by the way, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is the Christian life. When we start running, you go out real hot, right? You start running really fast. And then all of a sudden, you start to struggle. You're not persevering, or you fall back, or you literally stumble. I'm so glad that I live in Gainesville and none of you saw it. I didn't hit the ground, though. Lana, you'd be proud of me. 
But if we pay attention to how we're walking, we won't walk in foolish ways. It's one foot in front of the other. And one of the weird encounters, I like to run alone, which is, it tells you a lot about my personality, psychopath, okay? But they say that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. And so I'm running along, and some, some guy runs up next to me, and then all of a sudden he wants to start pacing. I'm like, bro, I got my headphones in, like I'm trying to get ready for Sunday. And all of a sudden, all this conversation started, it was awesome. And I was so thankful for the disruption. Okay, I think a lot of times we like to take disruptions and we like, hey, I, I don't know what to do here. I need you to leave me alone. And for the next 45 minutes, we just start talking. And, and he's the one that says, you know, if you want to go far, you got to go with others. That's, it's not really in the Bible, but man, is that a biblical truth? If you want to walk with Jesus, you have to have people in your life who are willing to push you to look different in the world. I think at the end of the day, it's a question of worship. We're all worshipers. It's in our very DNA. The question is, what are you worshiping? Are you worshiping sex? Are you worshiping money? Are you worshiping alcohol? Are you worshiping your favorite college team or whatever? Like we all have something. At the end of the day, Christians are called to worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit who take people from death to life. Now, this morning... One of the most beautiful things that we get to do as a church is to baptize people. And we're going to do that like in 10 minutes. And so as we navigate through what is actually happening out in the parking lot, it is deadness dying and life taking the place where death once reigned. And so as we celebrate, there are four people being baptized today. Brett Backer and Josh Helms, Jackson Carney, and A.K. Hardwick, and each of them who've been walking with Jesus for a while, have been a part of our church for a while, are saying, hey, in front of these people who I've come to love already, I want to declare to you that Christ is king. In our covenant, it's not just that we're going to celebrate their baptism, although it's amazing. It's that we're going to covenant with them to walk in this for all the days of their life. As we see the sin in their life, as they see the sin in our life, we're going to partner together and work. We're going to be imitators of God. We're going to walk in love. We're going to walk in light. And we're going to walk in wisdom. One of the things that I kind of quoted in the first sermon I ever preached 20 years ago was this idea of wake up, be holy, and shine on. Now, I know it's super cheesy. I was young. Give me some grace. But man, is there truth in that? Christian, would you wake up? Would you walk in the ways of Jesus and shine your light because you've been brought from darkness to light? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this morning, thankful for time to wrestle with your word, to wrestle with these exhortations of Paul. I pray that you would draw us to a newness of life, that our life would look different because we are now living, that the gospel has, has made us a new creature, would, you, would we flee from all of these things that, that weigh us down, the sin that ruins and wrecks our life as individuals and in community? Would you help us to flee from sexual immorality, flee from impurity and covetousness, from nasty talk? Would you help us to live life like Jesus, that we would see others the way that Jesus sees them? 
that we would choose the stuff that Jesus would choose. Father, I'm so thankful uh, for the story that you're writing in this little church. I'm thankful for celebrating new life through baptism. I'm thankful for the reminder of communion, that Christ has died to give us life, that we have been given an inheritance that we do not deserve, that we've been given a seat at the table. So I pray now as we go to the table that you would give us the reminder that you are good, you are holy, and you are righteous. Would you help us to walk in your ways? We love you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.